the pipeline gas turbines, they went into action in May 2021, and then it was followed by pumped hydro. Now, where would that power be coming from? Wyvernhoe Dam. So that's a long way from central Queensland. Yeah, but it's all interconnected. In the graph, it shows a little bit trickling through, but it really took a couple of days for it to, to get right up. Well, it, it depends on what the state of that uh, the dam, because that relies on water already having been pumped up to a higher level and then being able to be flowed back down. So maybe the it had already been discharged, so it couldn't be used straight away, and they then, when they had surplus power, pumped some water up and let it then drain back down. They can effectively pump it up in the middle of the next day, for example, using solar power, because if you look at what happens with solar on the national electricity network now, it pushes the demand for coal uh, and gas down in the middle of the day. So you've got all this massive amount of solar generating. Uh, and that could be used to pump the water up yep. during that um, peak, uh, during the midday of the following day. There's an estimate on the graph of the amount of solar that they ploughed into the system after the blackout and it is a really significant amount. It's the bulk of the electricity that was servicing the, the state immediately after the, the the coal blackout. Right, on the same day. Yeah, same day, yeah. Yeah, well that makes sense because it happened at about one forty. Yes. <clears throat> so there would have been lots of solar generation occurring then. Just looking looking at it roughly, the graph looks like just prior to the blackout about a third of the supply of electricity was through solar, a half was uh, through coal at that st at that point in time. There was also yeah. uh, quite a lot of really large solar. You know, there's rooftop solar and then there's large solar. There was yeah, a significant solar. amount of that in there too. When you add all of the solar together, it was almost the equal of um, the coal being right. producing yeah. the electricity. And then, of course, as you point out, the um, because of the time of day, the the solar really took up the bulk of the electricity supply. What they said was about a half a million homes were put out of power uh, yes. because of it. Just they had to shut it down, and that's where yep. you got that edge of the cliff kind of situation. Exactly. Uh, the last couple of days, we've heard reports of a deal between the Greens and Labor federal government. Do you believe that this is viable? It's a compromise, clearly, and it puts pressure on the fossil fuel industry and the big other polluting industries like steel, aluminium, cement, to start to act to reduce their emissions. But these sort of schemes have to be carefully designed and regulated to make sure that they actually work. And there's, so there's two questions in my mind about it. One is, will it be properly, properly um, designed and regulated? And we don't have the full details of that yet. And secondly, will industry try to find ways to, to get around it? And one of the ways that they've been allowed to get around these sorts of schemes in the past have been to use these things called offsets where they buy uh, the carbon credit offset from a company that may manage a forest somewhere overseas 
that's meant to be sequestering carbon dioxide uh, out of the atmosphere. And these schemes have been a dismal failure. Um, they've either been a complete greenwash uh, or they just simply haven't been very accountable. And they're not just done by one particular company. There can be multiple companies around the, the world offering these carbon credit schemes. And the other crucial aspect is that um, a recent report by Professor Ian Lowe has shown that a huge oversight in the greenhouse gas emission measurements relates to how we measure and respond to methane gas. And methane gas leaks out of coal mines, it leaks out of the pipework associated with the coal seam gas uh, industry, and this is called fugitive gases, uh, and methane over a 20-year period is 85 times stronger greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Now what this does is when you account for this methane emissions properly, you suddenly find that under this um, mechanism, safeguard mechanism the federal government's proposing, about 70% of the emissions are attributable to the fossil fuel industry activities of mining and processing of uh, both coal and the, the gas, the uh, coal seam gas. So this isn't properly accounted for under the federal government scheme of greenhouse gas uh, emission levels. So we've got this fundamental problem that they're going to still allow some mining to occur um, but not properly account for these methane gas emissions. And that means that the system, again, has a fundamental, potential fundamental flaw in it. The Greens leader, Adam Bant, he said that talking about these emissions, and he said that the deal ha included a hard cap on emissions, but then he said the Greens have stopped about half of them, that's in, that's in the pipeline, but Labor still wants to open up the rest. You know, there are all these gas projects in the pipeline and Greens have only been able to stop half of them. That would seem to me to be a big problem. And the second thing about your point on the offsets to reduce their emissions, require companies to cut or reduce their emissions by 4.9% each year till 2030. So um, that doesn't seem to me to be, um, you know, particularly with the the, prop, the failure of the emissions offset system, um, it doesn't seem to be a, a very certain thing that they're offering. Yeah, this, this is why I'm, I'm stressing, you know, that, that the design of the system, is, and we don't have all that detail yet, but the design as well as the implementation and monitoring of it is so crucial for any of these systems to be other than greenwash. So we have to be really, really on top of it from from the start. We've even got complexities already being put up by um, the transport industry, for example, the, the two biggest transport companies uh, in Australia, the ones that run the rail system and runs a, a major freight system, they're basically saying that if they have to pay for offsets, that will increase their costs. 
they will become less competitive with a whole stack of, of um, smaller trucking companies that the scheme won't apply to and therefore we'll put more um, freight onto uh, small truck systems which are, are then not counted under this scheme and that will increase emissions. Now that's an interesting point because you know one large freight train takes about 150 semi-trailers off the road. Um, so we can see that's just an example that I'm giving of the complexity uh, that we're facing with these sorts of schemes. Ideally you need it to be across the board, not just the biggest polluters. It's got to apply uh, to everybody, maybe in some sort of proportional uh, scheme where smaller companies that can't afford it as much um, aren't hit as, as hard. But we have to really focus on uh, government intervention and the rail, the rail system really being privatised is a crazy system, just like the electricity system privatisation has failed in that. Um, the rail system is a natural monopoly. And what really needs to happen is that if you want to solve the emission problems, government has to do things like mandate that most freight has to go on the rail system wherever possible to get the semi-trailers off, off the roads. So, and that's the urgency with which the whole climate crisis needs to be addressed. It's not something that, um, that you know, we can wait until 2050 and respond two years before that time. Um, we've already wasted 20 to 30 years of time addressing this issue properly. Uh, and we're just seeing the, the sad outcomes of that everywhere with uh, extreme weather events affecting people, um, wildlife, natural systems and economic systems right around the world.